When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby. And I'm Adam Bubb. And now you're here because you love stories. Stories about people with big ideas, people who are open books about their businesses, ups, downs and in-betweens. Yeah, that's actually been the thing that keeps on surprising me each week, Sess, with, with all of the amazing business innovators that we've spoken to so far. They've been really open about the mistakes as well as the successes you know, the moments you, that you learn from. And um, it's that whole thing about like strength in vulnerability, as they say. So First Act is all about the origin stories and moments of challenge and inspiration behind entrepreneur journeys. And today's guest knows a lot about the challenges of stepping outside of their comfort zone. From humble beginnings, Sari Cordoner's passion for education has helped hundreds of thousands of small business owners use their expertise to create new revenue streams. She's the queen of online courses, has been cited by Forbes as a leader in the education space, ranked by HuffPost as one of the world's 50 most must-follow women entrepreneurs and has the number one blog in the e-learning space. Not to mention, she holds the record as the youngest university executive director and head of campus in Australian history. Sarah, thanks for joining us on First Act. It's wonderful to be here. And uh, yeah, we talk about trials, tribulations and challenges. That is just an intrinsic part of this incredible journey that is being a business owner. I'm looking forward to sharing them with you today. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. We are excited to chat with you. Look, we always start with our first act icebreaker and your icebreaker for today is you've got a sneaky half day to spend on yourself. What do you do with it? Ooh, this is an interesting one. Well, I think with myself personally, I think a lot of other businesses can relate to this as well, that we all go through natural energy flows. And I don't know about you guys, but I definitely have some days where I, let's say I've got that half day free. Sometimes I'm going to be honest, I just want to lay on the couch and watch something completely brainless on Netflix. Sometimes I have some energy and the weather's nice and I go out for a lovely walk. But really for me, a lot of the time, luckily, I've built my business around my passions. And I have been accused of being a workaholic, but I actually like to banish that word for entrepreneurs because when you build your business around something that you love, around your genuine passion, you can do it all of the time without it ever feeling like work. And I mean, and I say ever, the point for me is that uh, what I find when I do have, you know, say someone cancels an appointment with me, and that's usually how I'll find myself with a spare half a day. Um, I will use that as an opportunity of more time I didn't expect to have to invest in the things I love doing. I really like content creating. For me, uh, sharing tips about 
things that I've learned, things that have worked for me, whether I'm popping that down in a quick video or writing an article or putting another chapter in my next book that I'm writing or coming up with a new idea for helping my members in my academy. For me, I find that spare time the most wonderful opportunity to sit down and create self-express in a way that is then going on to help the people that I serve and grow my business at the same time. But really, I think we need to be okay with tapping in with our energy flow at the time. There's no point pushing yourself to work if you are not in the mood, if you're not going to be productive, if you're going to sit there just clicking tabs. Sometimes it is a good idea to just completely walk away and have a guilt-free moment of doing nothing at all. (laughs) (laughs) Go and binge watch something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, it's something I think we learned throughout the pandemic is that there were a lot of people who are going, oh, look, I need to do something productive. I need to learn and learn a language. I need to do an online course. I need to do, and of course, that's a lot a big area of what you do. So there's a lot of like wanting to be productive, but sometimes it's okay just to go, you know what? I don't need to be productive right now. I will be productive another time. Now, Sarah, this big education journey that you've been on, let's take it right back because you come from gypsy heritage and traditionally education is not something for a gypsy woman. It's kind of frowned upon, but you really broke the mould by not only getting a degree, you got a postgraduate degree, you got a diploma. So a few questions. What sparked your passion for education and why did you want to go to uni? Nice. Well, all all of us have within us, we are all intrinsically curious from the day that we're born. Anyone who's got children or knows kids, look at a kid. They are so curious. They are so interested in how the world works, how stuff works. They're so playfully curious about what's going on around them. So I always hear a lot of people saying, I'm not naturally a learner. I'm not naturally somebody who is good at learning new things. We all are. We're born that way. That's exactly how our species has been able to evolve and stay alive and grow into the species we are today. And for me, I was definitely a very curious young person. I wanted to know how everything worked. And I really, really enjoyed that sense of satisfaction that comes and a sense of accomplishment that comes for being able to develop new skills. You know, being a kid back in the day, that might have been drawing a picture or painting something or playing a particular game or learning the lyrics to one of my favorite songs. Right the way through to today where I'm learning really complex tech. I'm in the process of about to to launch a software platform. Uh, These things that years ago I just thought I wouldn't even have a clue where to start. And for me... Back in the day, I guess, I, I went through education as somebody who, as you said, come from a gypsy background and education was sort of something that was for other people. And I found that I was good at learning. I wasn't the best at school. I didn't fit in very well. I ended up going to an all-girls Catholic school coming from a rough gypsy background. I didn't quite fit that mold amazingly, and it was tough. (laughs) And I remember it being so tough that I thought, you know, I just hate school. I hate it. There was one particular day when I was in the history class. I was about 14 years old, so as you can imagine, that came with a little splashing of uh, the typical teenage resilience to being (laughs) in the classroom. But I remember we were learning about King Henry VIII and all of his wives. And I, with genuine curiosity, I put up my hand and I was said, sir, 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 how is this going to help me in my life? How is learning about a bunch of dead guys going to help me get a job or, you know, learn how to be a good person? And he thought I was being rude. <laughs> I was genuinely curious. How does this apply to me? And he said, get out of my classroom, you rude, horrible child, get out. So I 
I was just gobsmacked. I thought, well, here I was in a moment of genuine curiosity. This was his opportunity to tell me about, you know, how everything that's come before us has created what we have now, how all the things in our own past can accumulate together to help us grow into new versions of ourselves. But this history teacher didn't want to give me a moment of learning and he kicked me out of the classroom. And as I walked out of that room, I flung my backpack over my shoulder. I genuinely made a vow to myself that I would never walk back in to a classroom again. I went and hid in the art room and <laughs> put all of my skills into more creative endeavors at which I excelled because there was no right or wrong. But I remember waiting in that art room until my schooling was over. Basically, I couldn't wait to leave. I hated it. I was like, as soon as this is over, I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to learn stuff again. School can <laughs> off, right? <laughs> and I did that. I waited. I finished school. I'd been working a lot and I decided that I was going to go traveling around the world with all the money that I'd saved by doing as much as I could to avoid my academic endeavors. And when I was traveling around the world, I stopped as my very first stop in, in Fiji. And this was uh, 2014 now. So we're talking a long time ago. And the first place we stayed was in this little tiny school community on a very, very small island. And it was so small that it didn't even have accommodation for tourists and backpackers back then. We literally had to sleep in the floor in the kind of community center. And I was sat there in the evening and all the girls were preparing dinner and wrapping up fish they'd caught in banana leaves. And while we were all sort of sitting there as a community, I was listening to a CD in a Walkman, right? Back in the Walkman days, <laughs> a CD precariously balanced. Was that a Discman? Yeah. A Discman maybe in those a days? A Discman, that's oh. it. <laughs> Oh my yes. gosh, I just remember hauling around CDs, just bags of CDs <laughs> and having yeah. to change them around. Oh, and how annoying because if you walked even a little bit fast, it would jump. <laughs> You'd be like, ah! <laughs> Skipping all over the place. Yes, I have this visual in my thing. head of it right now. It's just you've taken me back to a time. <laughs> yeah, so there I was in this you know, tiny little island with this Walkman you know, headphones in my ears. And this little 10-year-old girl, and I say 10, she was about 10, she came over to me and she couldn't speak any English, but she was basically gesturing to me, what on earth is this thing? What's this device you have? <laughs> and with no English, I obviously couldn't really explain to her that well. But I put it in her ears and she just was absolutely blown away by this music coming out of this thing. And then she became quite fascinated by me and this creature that I was in her community hall. And I had uh, next to the Walkman a book. It was one of those Lonely Planet travel guides. Any of you ever got those going away before? Hmm little travel guide books by Lonely Planet. And I had this travel guide about Fiji open and I was looking at which island I was going to hop to next. And uh, sort of somehow I managed to understand that she she um, was asking what was this map I had in front of me. So using pidgin English and loads of sign language, I basically could explain to her that this particular dot here on the map was her island. So she, she understood and uh, she sort of then pointed at it again and gestured as if to say, well, which one of them are you from? Which is your island? And so I flipped the page that went to a world map view. And again, I pointed at this little dot and I said, you, we're here. And then I said, and here's my country over here. And she actually, by the by her face, her expression, understood what I meant. And in that moment, I kind of felt like 
I have just shown somebody the world. And I got the impression that she didn't even know there were other islands in Fiji, let alone that there were other entire countries. And she was so excited by this. She, she grabbed the book and she sort of said, can I take it um, in her gesturing? Off you go. And I watched her repeat the exact same process and, and visual physical demonstrations to all the other kids as I'd just shown her. She pointed to the tiny island on the first page and said, you know, this is our island. And then she flipped the page and then she pointed at me and went, that one's her island. And they were all, whoa. And I just sat there watching this thinking, holy macaroni, I just showed someone the world. And on top of that, that person has now gone on and shown other people the world. I've just quite literally opened up somebody's knowledge and perception of their existence and reality in a way that they had never understood or seen before, in a way that's excited them and made them see you know, a whole other world they literally didn't know exist. And I sat there and went, wow, I want to do that again. I want to help people see things they didn't know were there. I want to help people understand things they didn't comprehend before. I want to give people visions about stuff they never even saw in their line of sight before. And that for me is where I became really fascinated by, well, what is learning? Because it wasn't about learning Henry VIII and how many wives he had. It wasn't about learning the chemical equation of photosynthesis. In that particular moment, I realized that learning was a lot more than memorizing facts. I realized that learning was something that you know opened people up, discovered themselves in different ways and could be applied to life in so many different forms. And I became just absolutely fascinated and deeply moved by that idea that I spent the rest of my travels backpacking, not drinking and partying, on the beach, but actually volunteering in schools and orphanages and just having the time of my life discovering a completely different definition of education and self-improvement. And when I returned a few months later to the UK, um, I'd missed the intakes for university, but I called them up and said, look, I'm really interested in teaching, but I don't know where to begin. And they said, well, unfortunately, you've missed all of the openings, but there is one place left on one program and it starts next week and it's um, education and specific specifically adult education. I didn't even know that adult education was a thing, right? I thought teaching <laughs> was school. And so I went, well, well, I have no idea what that means, but I'll see you next week. And that was it. It all just began from there. Oh and while I was still at uni, my, I hired my uh, university lecturer to basically come on board as my first employee and my education company was born. And uh, here we are 15 years later. <laughs> Sarah, that has got to be one of the, the greatest <laughs> first act uh, stories all in one go. I mean, you've, uh, you know, just the way that you've distilled all of that there. But I think it goes to the the fact that you are so passionate about education. You know, knowledge is power and it's something that you can use and you can you can empower other people. And that's something that you've really seen throughout throughout your career. In your early mm-hmm. career, I know you, you spent several years working in education in the welfare sector, working with prisoners um, single parents, uh, people with drug and alcohol issues, a lot of different types of uh, demographics. What do you what what comes to mind when you think of those days and what you've learned from that? Yeah, so um, this is this is pretty interesting. As part of my degree, we had to go off and do teacher training. So, you know, we had to do that as part of our qualification process. Um, so many hours in a particular classroom. And what I started discovering in this adult 
education sector is that there are so many path, pathways to it. You know, there um, there is prison education. And that's actually where I got my first ever teaching practice was in an all-male category B prison in the UK. So imagine this like 19-year-old little bimbo walking into an all-male Roman prison uh, where you've got everything from old mate who just had a punch up down the pub right the way through to guys who had done pretty horrific murders, um, all in the classroom, sitting there looking up at me as if I had the answers to life's problems. Uh, and you know, I discovered from there this whole entire, again, different levels, definitions, uh, environments of what education can be, how it can be done and who it can be done for. And so while I was in the prisons, um, you know, I, I imagined that back then when I was 19 years old, you know, how am I going to be able to walk into a classroom and, for instance, sit down with someone who had committed, you know, a horrible act upon another person and, you know, help them grow? How could I sit there and be kind and help somebody improve their life who's done something so cruel and so evil in our own ethical standards? of the Western world to another person. And what I discovered when I actually walked into that classroom inside a prison was that people are still people. It doesn't matter, um, you know, if we can, if we're going to be a really good educator, if we're going to be a great leader, if we're going to be a great coach or consultant, or even indeed a great friend or a great uncle or a great partner, we have to strip away the things that people have done. We have to not define people by their behaviors, by the way that they express themselves, and instead see that our role in that relationship, in that moment, is to share what we know, is to share the things that we can give them in that moment. Our role is not to change people's past or to change their behaviors. It's simply to share with them the things that we can share to, in that moment, be the best leader, educator, coach, consultant that we can. And I found that um, when I was in the prison service, um, delivering that education and training, that it, you can teach in any environment. You can, you can with with all of Maslow's hierarchy of needs stripped away. You know, in a prison, nobody has all of those so-called levels uh, of, of human needs met, but they could still learn. They could still self-actualize. They could still change themselves and their lives in that situation. I thought, wow, well, if I can do this inside a prison, <laughs> we can do this anywhere. And that's when I stepped out into the welfare-to-work sector, working with long-term unemployed, single parents, those who are severely really welfare dependent and in many cases just simply would never be able to be able to work for themselves. We were still able to create education programs around simply building their self-esteem, simply building their self-confidence, creating a parent program where simply these kids, these adults just learn how to write stories for their children and express love, you know. Um, positivity can be delivered through education in so many different ways. And so, yeah, for me, that's how I've kind of gone on to expand beyond uh, in an institution into helping people all over the world in all kinds of situations, economically and socially from my spare bedroom and be able to share. And I you know, now tell people anyone can do the same, whether you've got no startup money, when you've been, whether you've been given a giant grant, whether the people you're helping have no money, whether the people you're helping are high ticket rich people, you can help anyone from any circumstance you are in, in any circumstance that they are in, if you care enough to see them as people too. In terms of that prison experience, like those people came from the School of Hard Knocks. They had a lot of things that perhaps they could teach you as well. 
like the learning was not just one-sided, although you had things to teach them in regards to life and self-esteem, et cetera. What did you take away from the experience? Oh, you really hit the nail on the head there, Cessus, is that one of the most beautiful things about working with adults is that everyone comes to you with a background of their own as well. And it is such a two-way process, if you, as you said there. You get just as much back from everyone else as as, as they get from you. Um, I mean, in, today, in today's world, if I just talk about where we are right now in the, in the business space, is when you're out there creating your own courses, when you're out there coaching people, if you're out there consulting, you get so many questions asked back you get people share well what about my situation this is where I am this is what's happening to me how do I apply this in my scenario you are able to take that return communication and actually be able to give even more back you get to duplicate um, and multiply the impact that you're making by listening and hearing other people's circumstances and stories and being able to then apply what you can share back in a much bigger and meaningful way Uh, but going back into into the experience you just that there was within the prison. Um, I, I, I actually wrote a huge amount for my dissertation. I, I published work on um, on a lot of the meaning I took from that experience. Um, but it does for me just you know kind of reiterating what I said there is that when we remove ourselves. Um, as leaders, um, we, you know, a lot of a lot of leaders go out there and focus on themselves. Here's who I am. Here's what I teach. Here's what I have to give. That very didactic, authoritarian approach to leading and helping others. The very one way. Yes, those people do t- make a certain success of themselves to a degree, but their success is very much capped. When you go into any leadership or educational or communicative relationship whatsoever, and you go into it with that much more two-way approach (laughs) and that you understand that the people in front of you have as much to implement back it it really does dramatically change deep in that relationship the trust that those people have in you and ultimately what everybody takes away from it Mm. such important insights around education and you know pedagogy and how people how people learn and what you get out of it can I ask um I I would like to move it to a little bit further down the timeline so you have this great job uh, that you loved and then the roof caves in and you get made redundant. Um, I personally know what that feels like. It's not a great feeling. Mm-hmm. But this moment was a turning point for you in your entrepreneurial journey. Can you talk us through uh, what happened next? Oh, yes. I think uh, the word redundancy makes a lot of us feel like uh, curling oh, up, in the, particularly awful. after the last two years we've just had. <laughs> it's awful. You feel like you've been thrown on the scrap heap. I mean, to say that you're redundant, it sounds like, you know, that you as, you as a person have no use anymore. It's awful. Yeah. It, I mean, just, just crushing. Uh, you know, I think anyone who has been through a redundancy and they themselves have come out of it feeling like they are redundant as a human being is absolutely, I think, a mass trauma that the world's going to have some time to adjust to over the next few years, particularly after yeah. COVID. Um, so, yeah, I, I fortunately have had my own business through COVID. So, um, you know, my, my security is dependent on my own hard work in that sense. But for those people who had no choice with redundancies, I can relate because, yes, um, I came out of that prison 
uh, work experience and um, actually got offered a paid job on the outside. And so very quickly after doing my teaching practice in the prison, I became training manager in the southwest of the UK and became responsible for writing a whole range of curriculum, teaching and training all of the trainers across this uh, organization who had these contracts in the UK. And um, I loved it. I was so happy. I was doing curriculum design development. I was teacher training. I was still out on the on the front line working with the clients as well. Um, you know, for me, it was just everything. I got to travel around the UK to all the different offices and I was living the dream and, and at such a young age to, to have achieved such a high rank. And uh, quite frankly, be, be, I was earning a significant salary. Um, I was just going, you know, my dreams come true. Uh, I'm fresh out of university, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, one day uh, we all got called into the office and uh, there was some very important people sit, sat there in suits who just basically said, uh, we're really sorry, we're, we're changing contracts um, and you may not have a job. So uh, they said, you know, the process is, is taking place now. Um, and you're going to basically find out in the next few weeks or months whether or not you're redundant. And I was absolutely heartbroken. I can't, there are no words that can express to you how completely and utterly devastated I was. I had these little flashes of, you know, there was a kid called Dave who'd gone through a horrible experience and I'd helped change his life, you know. And I was thinking of all these little individual people and I'm thinking, I can't not help these people. What about the Daves? What about the Justins? What about the Rebecca's, you know? And I just, my heart was falling to pieces. I thought I've barely scraped, scraped the surface. There are hundreds, probably thousands of people that still need this help that I haven't got to yet. And I'm not trying to give myself any hero complex here. I loved it. I wanted to do more of it. I wanted to do it for the rest of my life. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to sit here for the weeks or the months that they may come back to me and say, you don't have a job anymore. So I thought, well, instead of relying on an employer to make sure that I can keep doing this work that I love, I'm going to do it for myself. And so <laughs> I got to work. I, you know, I knew how to create courses. I knew how to do curriculum design. I knew how to teach. I had all the contacts and I was really, really honest. I just got to work. I went out to local governments, to local councils. I said, here's all the stuff I can teach. I can start today. Um, I quickly registered a business name <laughs> and uh, made a price list. And within, within a few months, I had my first bunch of contracts and uh, it took off. It absolutely took off. So I'm thinking, great, you know, um, you know, when all these, this redundancy processes we're going to be fine and uh, as it turned out the company did lose its contract everything got shut down and as I was carrying my box out of the office with all of my stuff in it and tears rolling down my face um, my phone rang and I got called by the new company who had won this contract and they said uh, can you come and work for us and so it turned out that I actually ended up basically keeping the same job, albeit with a different company, and now had this business. And that's why I ended up having to employ my university lecturer, because I was like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to now deliver all these contracts I've just madly won, um, when now I've got to go and take this, this job. And so I did take the job, and uh, I had this business running behind the scenes. And it was always very funny on a Friday. I'd meet up with my university lecturer every Friday night, and we liked to meet down the local pub and we'd buy each other a beer and I remember it so well we were sat in this pub one day and uh, there was this old local guy sat at the bar next to us and, and he said so uh, here then you know is, is this your daughter then Jeff 
And Jeff said, no, actually, uh, Jeff, by the way, is, uh, was in his 60s. And uh, he's my university lecturer. <laughs> he said, uh, well, well, no, actually, she's my boss. And then this bloke, he didn't believe it. He'd had a few pints. He was like, oh, that's bloody funny, that is. And we, me and Jeff just sat there laughing at each other because it was just we, neither of us could, could believe that, you know, just a few months before he was my lecturer teaching me everything I knew. And now here I was at <laughs> the wise old age of about 20 as his employer. Um, and it just goes to show. You know, if you if you really love something and you're absolutely passionate about it, and you take just unwavering action, even if you're not sure what that action's going to be, and you're absolutely certain if it's going to even result in anything, I do believe, gypsy woo woo background, that the universe does in some way conspire to make that happen for you. So, in the face of the biggest you know hit I had in my early career, I could have sat on the couch and done day after day after day of Netflix watching and just let you know, this circumstance uh, take over my life and make my life something very different. I didn't. I just got up and remembered why I loved what I loved doing and why I love doing it and took some action. And uh, that's, you know, good things can only come out of that, even if they're lessons. We'll be back with more from Sarah Cordina after this short break. We're back with Sarah Cordina. Now, we've heard a lot about your early success in the UK. Um, but then this strange thing happened. You fell in love with your old classmate and you wind up in Australia of all places. How did that happen? Why here? Why Australia? <laughs> I'm a real why not person. If you hadn't figured that out already, um, often people say, you know, why didn't do this as if there was some strategy behind some crazy decision I've made. Uh, and actually the truth is, well, why not? You know, it's like, <laughs> there's just so many reasons I think why why you know you shouldn't do something than why you should. Um, so yeah, no, I I actually moved out to Malta, believe it or not. I was living out in Malta in the Mediterranean, beautiful place. I took my business over there and uh, was running some uh, European government contracts as well as delivering training in uh, to hotel hospitality management and to a bank over there absolutely loving life. And then unfortunately, my beloved grandmother fell very ill. So I flew back to the UK to visit my grandmother. And whilst I was there, uh, bumped into a man who I instantly fell in love with. And he said, Sarah, you don't recognize me, do you? <laughs> and in that instant, I realized that uh, I was staring into the most beautiful eyes of uh, a kid who by the way, it was written in my diary when I was eight years old. He's <laughs> <laughs> in my class when we were kids. So yeah, in primary school, we'd been friends. And uh, he I, it's so funny because I couldn't say Cordina back then when I was eight years old. I've got this diary entry from, I think it was 1994. And it says, Alex Coordinator is my friend. I really <laughs> like him. He is nice. <laughs> Little did I know that like 20 years later, I'd marry him. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of met and uh, six weeks later, we were completely head over heels in love. And he said to me, um, shall we get married and move to Australia? And I went, why not? So we did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what too much home and away and neighbours does to you. <laughs> shall we get married and move to Australia? <laughs> why not? Yeah, so he, uh, we sort of didn't really know how the visas would work and all of that kind of malarkey. So he had a great job. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, just so we're not being completely irresponsible, <laughs> we should probably try and be a little bit sensible here. I said to him, you stay in, in the UK and stay working. So at least we, you know, we can afford some food. And uh, I will fly over to Australia and see if I can get
get a job and see if I can get a house and see if I can get a visa. So within three months, uh, I, I jumped over on a plane. Uh, I had a bag full of bikinis in July, which, by the way, I learned wasn't the best idea ever because it does actually get cold in Australia. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, and um, yeah, it all kicked off. I got offered an amazing job as a, a, the Western Australian training manager for the Industry Skills Council. And at the same time, you know, got the business up and running behind the scenes, got a little house, uh, rescued a dog. And uh, yeah, three months in, I, I phoned my husband and I said, I think you better come out now because uh, you're probably not going to get me out of here. So <laughs> 11 years later, here we are still in Australia with an amazing life and two children who are now Aussies and it's all very nice indeed. <laughs> so let's cut forward a bit. You, you were having this wonderful time. You had a marvellous relationship, great job, but you couldn't not put your finger back in the pie. You started your own business again and by all accounts it was wildly successful. You had loads of employees, you had clients from the big end of town and then in 2014 the mining crash hit in Western Australia. It all came crashing down. You're suddenly millions of dollars in debt but instead of declaring bankruptcy or putting your business into administration, you came up with a plan. You sat at your kitchen table, you started writing some stuff down. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, well, I don't like remembering that time very much. <laughs> yeah, so uh, things did kick off pretty well. Uh, I worked like an absolute mad person getting the business back up and running. And when I when I came over to Australia, it was early 2012. And um, anyone who knows Australia, particularly Western Australia, uh, the mining boom was in full swing when I arrived. I mean, like literally you could just leave your house and they were putting gold nuggets in your coffee right in the cafe it was just crazy <laughs> there were opportunities everywhere and as someone who'd come from Europe um you know I just was like no wonder they call this place the golden country um so you know I'm not saying it came easy to me I worked really really hard but it certainly was a massive eye-opener for me just how much opportunity there was and certainly still is in Australia but yes I um being in WA very very heavily focused on mining and oil and gas pretty much every single one of my clients were in that space and uh through a a whole random collection and clashing of various economic changes, political changes. Um, there was a big crash in the kind of the mining space. A lot of people lost their jobs. You can go and check out all the news stories. Thousands and thousands of people lost their jobs in that sector and loads of funding changed and was revoked that had been put down. And, uh, you know, I was just a teeny tiny victim of um, hundreds and thousands of companies that were really badly hit by that um, back then. And yeah, so there I was um, thinking I had this amazing business, which it was. And yeah, overnight, I basically lost $2.7 million in contracts and um, had all these staff that basically, unfortunately, um, I had to turn around and say, I'm so sorry, but I can't, I can't continue your contract. And it was devastating. And I remember saying to my accountant, what do I do? I've got, I've got the leases to pay out on the offices. I've got staff redundancies to pay out. I've got, you know, bills that now my client can't pay. That's, you know, uh, it was just devastating. I couldn't even sit there and put the numbers together. It, it made my eyes bleed just looking at the figures, just stacking up and stacking up. Uh, my accountant was like, Sarah, you, you're one person, you know, you've, you've built a successful business, but he said, this, there's no other way but to fold. You have to go into administration. There is no way around this. And I'm just thinking, 
I can't do that. You know, I'm, I was still only a permanent resident at the time, not a citizen. I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to buy a house. I'm not going to be able to get finance on anything. I'm not going to be, there's so many things you cannot do for more than seven years if you register any kind of bankruptcy. And I just thought this, I can't do that. This is my life. This is the thing I'm passionate about. I can't be in a situation where I can't restart another company. And so I thought, I've, I've I got myself into this. I've got to get myself out. So dear accountant, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to listen to you at all. So I I sat there and thought, right, I have looked at my client base. Every single dollar I've earned has come pretty much from Western Australia, or it's come from clients that I've got on a plane and physically flown to. And I therefore have a very, very, very small market. No wonder this has happened. If you're focusing on one teeny tiny market that is going to be impacted by one tiny change. You have a high-risk business model, just like I did. And so I thought, well, this is completely my fault and no wonder I'm in the situation. And so I sat down with my pen and paper, you know, tears rolling down, probably one too many glasses of Shiraz. And I went, right, here's all the stuff I can still do. I rocked up here a few years ago with nothing. I can do this again. And I thought of all the questions that I had been answering over and over and over again when I was consulting clients, when I was flying to their offices and delivering training to their staff. I pulled all of the workbooks off of the shelf of all the courses I'd been teaching. And I thought, right, well, you know, if people in Western Australia are going to like this stuff, find it useful and pay for it, why wouldn't people in other places in the world do it? And so I just turned on the webcam and I started answering all the questions I was answering as a consultant. I answered every single question I'd ever answered in a classroom. I took every single PowerPoint I'd been delivering in a classroom and I filmed it to the camera, just me, myself and the lens. And I pressed publish by uploading them to a platform online and opened it up to the world instead of having it just opened up to a small handful of people who I was meeting face to face in Perth, Western Australia. And it changed everything. I went from having this tiny little local market, having a physical classroom where I couldn't fit more than 30 people in it, right to all of a sudden having a market of potentially millions, potentially billions of people. And that was it. The, the Everything changed. And this is where, for me, um, my whole business model switched to going into the online platform. And interestingly, how this had never come to me before, I have no idea. You know, maybe this was life forcing me into the path I was meant to be in. In my degree, I specialized in online curriculum design. And I'd never done it <laughs> until I was forced to in this awful situation. You know, I've become so distracted by all this money that was coming in by delivering my, my knowledge in one way, I realized there were so many ways of, of imparting that to others. And then here I was, I saved the business. I managed to pay off everything that had to be paid off and um, completely rescued the company. And here I am today with over 160,000 students in 181 countries. It's something that never would have been possible when I was doing business the way I was before. So well, now yeah. you know, I look back and it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, I think a lot of people can really can relate to that sort of thing that over the past couple of years, especially, I think during mm-hmm. the pandemic, there were, I mean, we, the most overused word of all, and this is almost a swear word now to say pivot. Um, but everyone, there were so many business owners that had to really pivot and go, what is it that I can do differently? You know, now that I'm being forced into, you know, conditions that I've never had to deal with before. And it's that whole thing of, you know, a diamond being created in you know, a diamond in the rough is, 
Is that the right term or is it? Under pressure. Diamond under, under pressure. pressure. <laughs> I'm getting my metaphors all mixed up because you just, it's all very inspiring. So, yeah, my head's very getting very clouded from it all. No, look, yeah, it's the diamond being made under pressure. That's really it. Mm, uh, to kind of it. lead on from that, when we talk about things that you're most proud of, obviously you've got so many people now that, you know, that you impact. But from all the accolades and all the, the things that you've done, the success that you've had, is there something that you're very particularly proud of that sort of stands atop the other the others yeah you're right it's uh, and you know there are so many things that of course I'm extremely proud of um you know coming from a, a, a pommy gypsy background to you know at, at under 30 becoming the most senior leader of the number one university in Australia it was something I was pretty proud of but those things come second to what I'd say the thing I'm most proud of myself for is having courage. And this is going to sound so cheesy, it makes me actually want to vomit on my own desk just saying that. But <laughs> there, <laughs> I think the biggest thing that, that holds back anyone from any dream, whether it's a business owner that wants to start a business, whether it's someone that wants to become a leader in their field, whether it's someone who wants to get a job, whether it's someone who just wants to ask that person out on a date, you know, there, it's usually just that overcoming that absolute terror of failure and rejection. And what if people don't like me? What if I mess it up? What if I make myself look like an idiot? What if this all goes wrong? What if I get in debt? These endless fears that we have. I'm too young. No one's going to listen to me. I'm too old. No one's going to listen to me. I'm not pretty enough to be on camera. All these millions of things are there to hold us back from our dreams. And, you know, myself included, still to this day, (laughs) still to this day, I have over, I think, 800 videos on YouTube, thousands of videos in my online course. I've been on millions of podcasts, not millions, I've been on a lot of podcasts. Um, And still to this day, I can honestly say there are still things that I'm scared of. I'm still scared of people saying mean things. I'm still scared of looking like an idiot. I'm still scared of all the things that could go wrong. And getting past those has been a big thing. Um, And one day, actually, the worst did happen to me. I was really afraid of, um, you know, getting into a situation where I got trolled online or hated on or, you know, the haters come out when you hit a certain level. Um, After I just had my my baby, my first baby, um, that actually did happen. (laughs) So I got this crazy stalker who went on this crazy hate camp campaign. Um, and it was awful. Uh, I won't go into any of the details of it, but it, it was it was all of my fears wrapped up into one. <laughs> and you know, there was a time where, a period of time where I was like, I'm never going online again. I'm changing my name. I'm going to close all my social profiles now. And I, people are going to say me, I don't like it, say mean things. Uh, and I, you know, I was really freaked out for a little bit. I thought my life's over, my business is over. <laughs> Someone said something mean to me. And um, getting, you know, getting myself to, to continue to, to put myself out there to continue to walk into the the arena to continue to stand in the ring instead of getting off and hiding you know I stood up and I took the punch in the face and I carried on uh, it, it's it's getting past that honestly uh, my biggest growth happened after that period passed after I'd been courageous enough to to continue to stand up and stand out uh, after I realized that it was part and parcel of having a public profile and and you know sharing passionately and publicly about the thing that I love, that it's part and parcel of it. And in fact, you know, we can't 
have the success without some of the darker days and the shadows that come along with it. But it would have been so easy for me to quit and give up. It would have been so easy for me to hide from that shadow, hide from the punches, hide from my own personal private fears um, than it would have been to, to stand there, stand up, stand out, keep speaking, stay strong and have the courage to, to keep on growing myself so that I could keep helping others grow. Um, and that was a big thing for me because it was a very deep personal fear of mine. Um, now I've moved past it, you know, I kind of feel um, I feel a lot of strength in that space. And, and bizarrely, you know, a huge amount of growth um, came for me after that. And it was a very private affair. No one else would have even known any of this was going on. It was you know, this private fear of mine is felt like it was unraveling. And to anyone else, it was invisible. Um, but this is what happens to all of us, right, as business owners, is most of the fears we have are completely invisible. And uh, it's usually winning that battle against ourselves that is the difference between success or failure. So yeah, it's a, a battle that never ends, uh, but it's definitely one that we will all need to contend with at some level as we go forward. And if we have the courage to, to war and par through that with ourselves, you, you know, what's on the other side is, is quite miraculous. So what was it that was the turning point then? What made you go, yeah, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to step up, I'm going to not be drowned out by the trolls? Like, Because it's easy to say now, looking back in hindsight, but in the time, as you said, it was you were like you felt terrible, it was kind of a scary moment as well. There were a, almost a stalker. Like what made you go, no, I'm not going to let this define who I am. <laughs> I think every uh, business owner, entrepreneur, leader of any kind does have a little dashing of absolute defiance in their personality. <laughs> I mean, hands up. How Some many daring, that? that's right. Yeah, risk taking. It's, <laughs> it's part of our nature. I think anyone who has gone out on any kind of grand pursuit of any kind or has any big dream or ambition and acted on it clearly has some kind of um, you know defiance in their soul that no, I will do this. I will make this happen. Nothing's going to stop me. And of course, that confidence uh, does up and up and down as we go through life. But um, this is going to sound so cheesy again. Like prepare for a vomit in your cup of tea moment again. <laughs> is just remembering why I was doing it. Yeah, and I, I actually sat down and it, it, when we go through any bad thing, we feel like that's the worst thing that's ever happened to us. It's so easy for in that moment when we're completely consumed by fears, by emotion, by worries, by anxiety, that we absolutely convince ourselves, right, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm never going to be able to get through this. My life is over. You know, This is the end of me or it or whatever it is that's caused the problem. And we forget that we have been through equally painful things before, albeit in different ways. And I remember sitting down one night, again, I was accompanied by my, my little friend Shiraz, right? I was there having a little salt, <laughs> feeling sorry for myself. And I thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> a few years ago, I lost $2.7 million in a day and I, I managed to get over that. You know, before that, I made myself, I was made redundant and, you know, I made a business out of it. You know, I remember that time when I was crying over a boyfriend that cheated on me and I got through that okay. There was another time when this bad thing happened and I thought that was the end of me and I got through that. I think it's reminding ourselves that, you know, what you're going through right now, yes, is bad. Not going to undermine any way that anyone feels, but you have probably been through hard stuff before too. There's probably been plenty of other times you've got through uh, absolutely soul-consuming darkness before. 
you can do it again. And that's, you know, something that I just reminded myself of. Remind yourself of your past wins. Remind yourselves of the fact that you've got through dark times before. And then remind yourself of why you started this thing in the per- in the first place. And I remembered the Daves and the Dans and the Jeanettes. I remembered the students that I'd had. I remember instead of just looking at one or two trolls saying something mean, I remembered the thousands of comments of people saying, thank you, you've changed my life. This is so helpful. You know, it's reshifting shifting your focus from the things that are bad, not working, imperfect, to moving to the things that are great, we have done, we have succeeded in, and that are positive. And if we can give ourselves a moment to let out the bad energy and then go and refocus back on that, as scary as it might be, (laughs) and as overwhelmed as you might feel, it's always the people who carry on despite their fear and despite despite their worry and despite their emotions that actually do succeed. Now, just to wrap up, just from our conversation so far, it's very clear that you're a real believer that everyone has lessons that they can teach each other. So what's your advice for a business owner that might want to be transferring their skills and expertise into an educational opportunity? Yeah, they're, they're, this you're so you're so right, Cecilia. I, I really do passionately believe that everyone has something to teach. And the first thing is, you do not have to be a qualified teacher to teach something. You do not need to be an approved training organisation to deliver training. You can teach anything that you love, that you're passionate about, that is a hobby of yours, that is your, it's something that you've done through actual work experience or something that you've just developed your own uh, professional experience in. Um, you can quite literally. <laughs> share the things that you love to other people. I've got people that have gone through my courses that have created extremely good income for themselves, um, creating courses on candle making, on jewelry making, on golf, on uh, of just so many things I can't even think of off the top of my head right now. Um, so yes, everyone has something to teach and it doesn't necessarily need to be a physical skill, so to speak, like the ones I've just mentioned. There are a lot of people I've worked with who have gone through major life experiences and are now teaching other people how they got through that life experience. Maybe you've been through a massive challenge in your life and got through the other side. There are going to be other people right now, I guarantee you, who are going through that experience right now that you have already been through. And all you have to say is, here are some things that I did to help me get through that thing. Here are some things that worked for me when I was going through that. And in my course or my coaching, I'm just going to share my steps with you in that particular method. And the great thing about using that approach is that you're not saying I'm qualified or I'm the best person at this in the world, or I'm, you know, you don't have to be a PhD professional in your thing. You're not saying that you know everything in your topic by just saying, here's what I've learned. Here's what I did. Here's what worked for me. You are going to attract people who are like you, who are going through that experience too. And all you're doing is sharing with them your methods and strategies that you just learned by going through it. And that's it. You start there (laughs) you will be amazed at just how far you can take yourself and of course most importantly those people who are coming with you well I think there's going to be quite a few people listening to this who are utterly inspired by what you've told us today Sarah so thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate you um taking the time to chat with us here at First Act 
My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing me to come along. And, you know, if there's one thing I can um, leave today's conversation with is from my experience in 15 years of doing this is it's a forever journey. A lot of people think that uh, going out and starting a business is you come up with a name, you come up with the product, you pull it out there and the journey's done. <laughs> really, that's where it begins. It is, uh, you know, it's a constant journey of up and down. And if you learn to see every one of the downs as an incredible opportunity or a learning moment, excuse you, that is, you know, there's nothing that can hold you down for long and keep remembering all those people that need you, need your help, need your advice, whether it's just as a friend, let alone as someone who's doing this for business. You, you, you're you going to leave this world a better place than you found it. That is a great note to end on. So for more information on Sarah Cordner, head to sarahcordner.com. That's spelled S-A-R-A-H-C-O-R-D-I-N-E-R.com. That's not coordinator. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for another episode of First Act. Give us a five-star review if you're loving these chats. Please do. We'll love you forever. We'll be back next week for another First Act conversation. See you then. <laughs>